passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We spent a lot of time getting ready for Ken. Super easy match. He's got two things. Armbar, ankle lock. That's it. That's all he has. How hard is the train for somebody? They're going to do two things. It's very simple. He's also not as fast as he used to be, not as strong as he used to be, and his cardio is way worse. There's no way he's going to keep up with Moose. It's just not going to happen. We spent so much time getting him in shape cardiovascularly and knowing how to get out of all those techniques. There's nothing we have to worry about. I don't even have to be ringside for this. I'd be in the back having a coffee. That's how easy this match is going to be for Moose. 100%, I'm positive, he's winning this bout. No problem. Hello, everybody, and welcome to our Bound for Glory post show. I am John Pollock. If it's an impact pay-per-view, only one person can come to save the day for all of us. He is Nate Milton, joining me to chat all things impact wrestling and Bound for Glory. Nate, how are you tonight? What is going on, Brother Pollock? It is it is good to be back. You know, we have these quarterly meetings, as we said off mic. It, it feels like, you know, I've never been in trouble with the law, at least not any serious trouble, John, but... It feels like you're my parole officer that I have to check in with and make sure that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do and make sure I'm on the right track. So maybe I don't know if you're my parole officer or if we're Impact's parole officer. Well, it's uh, if you are representing Impact Wrestling, it's really hard to keep up with your whereabouts because over the last five years, I mean, you've just been going from network to network, different time slots, different nights of the week. It is very hard to track you down to see if you are violating said parole. So like, what, what what are you trying to hide, Impact? What, what what's going on here? They uh in their in their quest uh, to hit every single night of the week, uh, they will be they will be hitting Tuesdays uh, in a, a week from this Tuesday. Before we discuss the pay per view, I mean, <laughs> the fun part about doing only a couple of these a year, Nate, is that by the time I get you on, there's like a a novel's worth of uh, news to talk about uh, with this company. But we have not talked yet. Uh, we we did have you on that on the hangout recently, but just uh, some of your overall thoughts as they are going into as they called it tonight the Access TV era. Where does Impact State uh, stand? Uh, here we are, 2019, getting set for their their newest television home. Impact is on solid ground, or at least as solid as they've been in years, John. But that doesn't mean that they're a challenger for WWE or even AEW. I think, you know, they've got a niche and the issue. And, you know, you talk about moving to Tuesday nights. I think the issue for a company like impact is you're a niche product that is fighting for airtime against other niche products. You know, AEW has got the new show on Tuesday, uh, NWA power, even though that's something on YouTube is something that people seem to be reacting to positively. So even though I, I still think Tuesday is a good night, for impact to be on it's certainly not the layup that it was before you know the last couple of weeks yeah it's it's obviously a very oh, an enormous move by by anthem sports purchasing majority control of access tv and 
And Impact does serve as its largest property within its portfolio. And perhaps from the Anthem perspective, like that is ultimately the value of Impact. Is this thing sustainable on its own? No. But is it content we own that can fulfill all of our programming on various channels that we own in Canada and abroad that you know, we we don't have to be licensing content for. We own this content outright. Is that kind of the the hidden value or the value right at the at the forefront that Impact represents for Anthem? No doubt, from a television perspective, from a perspective of the broadcaster, it makes sense. The question is, will it work as a wrestling product for wrestling fans? And I think, like I said, John, they've they've got a niche, and I think. Over the past two years, you and I have, have done these shows and people have watched Impact and it's been a better product. It hadn't been the train wreck that it was in the, in the dying years of Dixie Carter or the GFW era with Jeff Jarrett. And so I think Impact's got a modicum of goodwill, which is something it didn't have for a long time. I just think that the problem is you've got so many products vying for people's attention, whether you're talking AEW, WWE, uh, NWA, New Japan, Ring of Honor, if there's still you know a, a cadre of people out there watching ROH, MLW, who's doing some pretty good work. So there's a lot to watch if you're a wrestling fan. There's a lot of alternatives out there. And, and I think while it might not be great for Impact, I think overall it's probably good for the business and good for fans. Certainly. I I think that, you know, you want to have as many of these promotions thriving as possible. I think that's great for everybody. And as you look ahead to Access TV, like certainly if we're comparing this to Pursuit, I mean, it's a layup that this is going to be way more visible. Um, But being on on Tuesday nights, where where do you envision your viewing habits being? You know, week one, I think that they're they might be able to accumulate some of that curiosity of people that maybe just want to check in and see what, what the pulse is on impact. But six weeks from now, Nate, do you see impact being part of your, your weekly programs of wrestling, at least that you're going to be watching? I think so. And I can only speak for myself, John, but I think given what we've seen from the WWE lately, I might. And, and, you know, I never want to be one of those fans that that's like, you know, I'm, I'm never going to watch WWE again. Cause that's obviously not, a viable thing to say if you're a fan of wrestling, you're not going to not watch the biggest product. You know, it'd be like if you're a fan of fast food, or if you're a fan of hamburgers, and you're like, I'm never eating McDonald's again. Like, you can't make that claim. Sooner or later, you're going to have a Big Mac attack. And so <laughs> while I like, I haven't been impressed with uh, SmackDown, even after that first night with The Rock, I just left a bad taste in my mouth, the stuff from Hell in a Cell, uh, the way they treated Kofi, like it's, I'm now to the point where I'm going to do like so many of the postmarks out there. And I'm going to listen to you and Wade. And if you and Wade tell me something is good, I'll go back and watch it. But now my Mondays and Fridays are free. So I've freed up two <laughs> nights of wrestling. So that means I can concentrate on Wednesday with AEW and NXT. And now I can watch uh, NWA and uh, Impact on Tuesdays. So I think the loss of the WWE from my plate just adds room for impact and space for impact. And it's a product that, in my opinion, deserves eyes. So I'll be watching it on Tuesday. Well, I am happy to play everyone's compass uh, through our podcast. (laughs) And once we're done this review, I want to ask Nate 
about NWA power and find out if it is Mr. Milton's true north when it comes to professional wrestling, because I'm very Mm. curious to see uh, your thoughts on NWA power, uh, assuming you have been watching it. I caught the first episode. I haven't seen the second okay. one yet, but yeah, I've I've got some thoughts about NWA Power. Well, let us uh, let us first uh, attack the show at hand here with uh, Bound for Glory 2019, a pay per view that I'm sure there were many years, Nate, that you were unsure if they would make it to 2019. But here we are in the Odium in Villa Park, Illinois, and we opened up the show with a video montage to the song "Lonely Man" by Alpha Rev. And then we went into the broadcast proper with Josh Matthews and Don Callis welcoming us to the show. Matthews called this a sellout. And then uh, we should mention off the top because I don't think Impact did a proper enough job alerting people to this because it was pretty much a tweet and it was still kind of vague. Uh, But if you were expecting the Rascals against Dr. Wagner Jr., Black Taurus and Aerostar, which was a six-man I was looking forward to, um, they decided that this was going to be taped as a dark match on Sunday, and it's going to air on Access this Tuesday night during the special that they're doing, which is kind of a catch-up on Impact Mm. a week prior. So that's when that match is going to air. But I'll admit I was a little disappointed because Black Taurus being added to this card, I was looking forward to that. Yeah, I had no idea. Like, I, I even missed a tweet. Yeah, I, it was only, like, late this afternoon. And the way it was worded, uh, it didn't even flat out state it wasn't going to be on the pay-per-view. Like, there was st- still some ambiguity of, are, is it going to air tonight? And then a replay will be on Tuesday. But no, they taped it ahead of the show, and it's going to air on Tuesday. So I, I think if you're going to promote something like that, you have to go above and beyond to let people know that ahead of time. Because not to say that was the main event, but uh, – I think it was a notable match on this show. Yeah, and I think it, it, it is something that could have caught some eyes, could have caught some attention. And, you know, the, the, the times you and I have talked, you know I'm a big fan of the Rascals. So anytime we get to see those guys in, in, in a ring, I, I was looking forward to it. And, I, like, I was wondering. I was like, did somebody get hurt? Did somebody not show up? Did, did somebody have visa issues? So now that you said, you know, it, it's being taped for the uh, – for the first show on Tuesday, like, okay, that, that makes sense then. So that is uh, when you can see it uh, two nights from now. So we started things off with the call your shot gauntlet match. So impact, if there is one thing from day one to uh, whatever day we are at now in their existence, <laughs> they love their Royal Rumbles. And yes. what would be more appropriate than starting it off with this? Very much uh, in the style of a, of a New Japan Rumble, uh, right down to the length of this one. So it's a 20-person battle royal. It's intergender. Oh, oh hold on, John. Hold on. Hold on. It, so you're saying your 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 feed started with the call your shot gauntlet oh, match? Cause I'll get there. My feed get started there. with the black screen. <laughs> you, I assume, were also watching this on Fight TV? Yes. Okay, so both of us ordered this on Fight TV. So we are getting set to watch this gauntlet match, and Eddie Edwards is out first because they did a battle royal on Friday's show where Edwards uh, got the number one spot and Mahabali Shira, yes, he's back, is number 20. <laughs> and I don't care how proficient you are with your gauntlet pools out there. Nobody could have predicted the first elimination because it was the paying audience that was eliminated first in this (laughs) gauntlet match because all of a sudden the screen just went to this text that said uh, there was no signal coming from the venue as we got just the uh, turning uh, icon of doom for like five, six minutes here. And I was – because I was contemplating, Nate, ordering this just on traditional pay-per-view, but decided at the last minute, now I'm just going to get it on fight. 
And I thought, oh, I've made a horrendous decision here <laughs> because I was having flashbacks to Royal Quest and Ooh. their butchering of that of that event on Fight TV. But to their credit, they came back after the five or six minute mark. I think there was one other minuscule cutout yeah. and then we were fine for the rest of the show. So it was not a major issue. Thankfully. Yeah, I didn't know what was going on. Like, at first, I thought I was going to be bound for a refund. <laughs> not, uh, not a fight. You'd probably just get a credit. Yeah, just get credits. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but then, yeah, I don't know if you saw the uh, the video on Twitter of Josh Matthews over the weekend. I did. Do you want to fill people in? So this was from their All oh. Glory event on Saturday night that was streaming. It Was it streaming on Impact Plus, I assume? I think so, okay. yes. So wh- why don't you uh, recap this uh, and, amazing and- moment? <laughs> I, I guess they were they were uh, broadcasting from Josh Matthews' iPhone, yes. and Josh needed his phone to make a call. I, I guess, and all of a sudden you hear, "Hey, hey guys, I, I need my phone back." I, hey, hey guys, hey everybody, and, and Josh Matthews cuts off the feed <laughs> because he has to take this call. So I didn't know tonight if if they were using Josh Matthews' phone again, and he was getting a text or something. I didn't know what was going on. Sorry, guys. I've got a Skype call coming in. It's business-related. Uh, we're just going to take a 10-minute pause here. But, yes, this was uh, – everyone Everyone got uh, an involuntary intermission from Josh Matthews on Saturday night. Uh, so we come back from the broadcast. Eddie Edwards is in the ring with Reno Scum, uh, who, if you have not been following the television, um, did an angle where they, they roofied Eddie Edwards at the wedding of Brian Cage and Melissa Santos. So there you go. They have history. Uh, Cousin Jake was in next. Rohit Raju. Then the sixth entrant, our first surprise of the night, Joey Ryan comes out, gets a a pretty good reaction as the surprise, and is challenging anyone to grab his penis. And then Luster the Legend hits Ryan with a Manhattan drop and sells his knee from the effects of the penis. And this culminated with a five-man penis plex, which eliminated Cousin Jake and Rohit Raju in Impact's attempt, I'm sure, to get this up in uh, in GIF form on Monday so that this can overtake the Marco stunt debate. Yes, I, it's another thing that will raise Jim Cornette's blood pressure, I'm sure. And I think that was the sole reason for this spot. And afterwards, Joe, he, Joey... He's, uh, he's signed with the company now, Yeah, that's what I was going to say. He said afterwards, he has signed with Impact, and he's still allowed to do all of his independence. So, yeah, Joey Ryan's coming in, and he's doing the gimmick. Do, do you like this And it's, it's funny. Yeah, I, I like it. I like it because Joey Ryan, I think, is somebody who you can add as a good character uh, on this show, you know, he's obviously somebody that gets a lot of attention. Uh, but also, you know, the last time we saw him in Impact, he was just kind of a guy doing like, uh, you know, he was doing the gimmick, but the PG version of the gimmick. Right. He he had done the gut and check now, angle and then yep, the, the yep. fake firing and all that stuff. Yeah. And now we've got full-fledged, full Monty Joey Ryan. So it's going to be interesting to see how they incorporate him and this character into the program. Do you see him any higher than kind of... Low card comedy, like I could see him almost being paired with like a Johnny Swinger or do, doing something with yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, I think you know maybe you give him like a little bit of shine in the X division, but I don't see him as a serious top contender. But he'll be somebody that can you know add a lot of personality to the program. Does that mean that uh, Sammy Callahan has to give up the groin claw? Ooh, maybe, maybe that's the long term booking for Sammy after after tonight. 
Uh, Jessica Havoc was in next, followed by Rosemary, Madman Fulton, and Fulton got the big uh, Diesel 1994 Royal Rumble uh, position, where he just dumped out tons of people, including Havoc, Rosemary, Adam Thorstow of Reno Scum. Then he got the lollipop from Ryan placed in his mouth, but Ryan got eliminated by Fulton with a military press. Um, Fulton doesn't win the match, but certainly he was positioned as the big monster of the match. Yeah, and and I think particularly given some of the results of the the other matches we'll talk about tonight John there's an intriguing possibility for matchups with with top top guys Cody Deaner out next followed by Johnny Swinger Jordan Grace who you know every now and then they kind of tease that they're going somewhere with Grace and and give her something I think she's very underutilized in this company I I see her being right at the mix of like the top women and it just seems like mm. Grace is kind of just on the back burner but I think they could just go Go with Grace at any point, and I think she'd be you know, a great opponent for Taya Valkyrie, for instance, coming out of this. Yeah, I love Jordan Grace. I think she's got a ton of potential. Uh, in, in terms of, like, she did a lot of tweeting over the weekend about people that she'd like to see in Impact, and I don't know if any of those people will come to fruition, but one person I would love to see, even if it was just for a cup of coffee, as an opponent for Jordan Grace would be Lufisto. Because uh, I think, that, you know, being a tag team on the independence, it, it would just be a nice, a nice matchup for Jordan Grace. Give us a good opponent, and also be a good send off for Lufisto, who is uh, winding it down. Apparently retiring yeah. at the end of the yeah. year. Uh, I guess it's mandatory now that every battle royal Swoggle has to be a surprise. So, <laughs> like, how many of the, he's done a Royal Rumble uh, either this year or last year? He did the uh, the fifty man battle royal last year in Saudi Arabia. This guy just gets Swag- into Swag- every you, you, you mean uh, you mean Shorty S? <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is uh, this would just be S, S, just S. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think, and and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about it after the after the match, John. But uh, this this is a fun match. I think it continues some of the trends of like the uh, the battle royals we've seen in AEW, uh, and it, where you've got somebody that you're pushing, but you also can take time for some some of the silliness. Uh, he did some comedy with Johnny Swinger. Um, he hit Swinger with a German suplex, and then Grace eliminated uh, uh, Swinger. Uh, Kiara Hogan was out 14th. Raj Singh 15th. Tommy Dreamer was next, and then number 17, Kylie Ray, who did work yep. over the weekend on some of the uh, on on one of the Impact shows this weekend, and got a pretty noticeable reaction being just outside of Chicago here. That. Uh, Obviously, location-wise, they were very familiar with her. And she came in, attacked Raj Singh and Dreamer with super kicks, hit a cannonball, and then Fulton went through another uh, purge, eliminating Singh and Dreamer. But um, Kylie Ray, we don't know her status with Impact, but this would certainly suggest that she is uh, at least on the radar, if not outright uh, joining Impact. Yeah, I think if it would be a great pickup uh, if it does come to fruition because – she is somebody who, as we saw tonight, you know, she can get a reaction. Granted, you know, she's kind of the hometown kid here, but I think if you put her in that knockouts division with Taya, with Rosemary, Havoc, you know, Kira Hogan, like there's such uh, a, an abundance of talent with these women that I think she fits right in and she plays like she's got this great, wholesome babyface character. It's it's a really great fit and a great pickup. Yeah, and certainly – you know, that's, you know, the the subject of her departure from AEW. I think if she is getting back involved with a full-time promotion, um, 
that discussion is going to come up again. And you know that she is going to get asked about this. And I'm curious if she is going mm. to open up more about what led to the departure, getting off of social media, what the issues were, and if she is going to disclose that. But I think the the more she is now out there and doing promotion, she is going to get asked about that. I, I agree. And I think, you know, she definitely will have to have some kind of answer. I don't know if she needs to divulge everything, but she certainly has to have an answer ready. But you mentioned AEW, and I think that's another reason why if if this is going to be a legit signing, I think it's a great pickup for Impact because this is somebody AEW certainly had plans for in their women's division. And so we already know that there was a built-in fan base ready to cheer this woman. And now you kind of transfer maybe one or two of those eyeballs that were looking to see her in AEW to your program. So it's, it's a smart move from a business standpoint as well. It's a great pickup for impact and one that you would have to imagine that um, if AEW was out of the picture, I mean, I would think Kylie Ray would be sought out by every major company, WWE, especially. I think so. And it, it's, it's a really, really nice signing. Uh, again, if, if it is a signing, because it, I feel like Impact is kind of in this place where they know what they are, which is something I don't know if the company always had that kind of self-awareness, particularly in the Dixie Carter era, John, where we know we're not WWE. We, we know we're not even AEW, but we're a place where you can get TV exposure. We're not going to overwork you. You know, we'll even allow you to work some outside dates and you'll get a, you know, you'll get paid to be on TV. And so I think they're positioning themselves as a nice kind of alternative to the other two companies. My favorite Dixie Carter quote of all time, maybe, maybe one of my favorite Dixie Carter quotes, cause I'd have to go through all of them, but that you shoot interview she did, it was a live one. Mm. And they asked her about if she would ever uh, sell the company to Vince McMahon. And her response was maybe I'll buy him out. <laughs> uh, Freezing cold takes. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I, do you think that John and here's, here's a, and, and maybe it's nostalgia now because you know, the, the, the time has passed and, and so the, the bad feelings start to melt away and all you feel is the, the warm fuzzies. Do you think there'll be a time where Dixie Carter gets inducted into the impact hall of fame? I'll say no. <laughs> I, I think no. I think there's probably still a lot. Like she is the, you know, she is the anta- the antagonist. I think in this in mm. Impact's history, like she represents everything. I think this company has tried to get away from. Um, yeah. That would be very surprising to me. Now, the idea of Dixie Carter one day fully giving her side and doing a sit down interview, which to me, you are the only person who could do that, Nate. Um, I could certainly see Dixie at some point one day uh, talking about Impact. I mean, she has – she's not a recluse. Like, she's still active on Twitter but is yeah. not – and she has done WWE projects. Um, we, we've seen her be interviewed for several WWE Network specials when it comes to the ex-TNA talent. So, I mean, she has a, a minor profile but certainly not one where she has, you know, done any kind of a tell-all interview or anything like that. Well, we'll have to set that up, John. You you send out the press inquiry, and I'll have my microphone ready, and, and we'll spend at least 15 minutes of this interview talking about Claire Lynch. Uh, we followed uh, Kylie Ray's entrance with Falaba. Number 19 was Sabu, who yes. um, on 
on Friday during Rewind to SmackDown, we were going through the Bound for Glory card, and that was the night when the Sabu-Rohit Raju match was going to be airing, and I did not know from the spoilers who won this match because this was to set up the fifth person in the ladder match, and I was so glad they went with what they did. It was a double countout. Neither got into the ladder match. I was frightened. After watching, as I was watching that match, I was like, my God, are they putting Sabu in this ladder match on Sunday? Could you have imagined, could you have imagined Sabu in that ladder match tonight? I mean, after what we saw uh, Ace Romero go oh, through, God. like, I don't know if I would have wanted to, like, I love Sabu. Like, I, like I'm a Sabu stan uh, from back in the day, but I don't know if I would have wanted to see Sabu at this stage of his, not just his career, but of his life, be, be in a match like that. Yeah, it was... It was a rough match on Friday here. Like this was the use of Sabu. Get the pop in briefly, do some chair spots and everyone's happy. Mahabali Shira was last and he eliminated Kylie Ray and Jordan Grace. Next, Shira sent Sabu over and out. So we're down to Shira, Madman Fulton, Eddie Edwards and Fala Ba. Ba is out. Then Fulton and Shira tossed Edwards aside. They start fighting. Edwards ducks, sending Fulton to the floor. And then Fulton grabs Edwards, chokeslams him onto the edge of the apron. And Edwards returned to the ring. But he came back, caught Shira with the Boston knee party, and pinned Mahabali Shira. So Eddie Edwards is your victor and running the table, starting at number one and winning. This thing went over 30 minutes. Uh, that would be my criticism that this was just so long. Um but Eddie Edwards goes over. What were your thoughts on our opener here, the gauntlet match? Yeah, I thought it was a fun match. You're right, though. I could have taken 10 minutes off of this, and it would still have been just as fun. Uh, I like the story they were telling with Eddie Edwards. He's somebody, you know, it feels like every time we do one of these uh, impact reviews, John, we have to take time to talk about Eddie Edwards and <laughs> where they're taking his story and, and what they're doing with them. And sometimes it's great, uh, like – in the initial story with Sammy Callahan, and sometimes it gets a little weird, like the, with the, the consistency uh, is he's in a troubled marriage that they just will not give up on. Uh, that yeah. being Eddie and Alicia, Alicia, they they are constantly at one another, and they're always on the brink of divorce, but never quite. <laughs> because he wins matches, I guess. <laughs> and this, listen, this was uh, I was definitely not expecting the outcome that we will get to in the latter match. But with Eddie Edwards getting the title match of his choosing, they clearly mm. set a direction up for Eddie Edwards coming out of this of what title he should be going for. And it's not the world title. Yeah. Yeah, because I thought we were going with the world title direction, given who I thought was going to win the, the final match. But obviously that didn't happen. So, yes, I, I see uh, him going to that x division uh next so uh, i thought it was a good story they told with eddie going the going a wire to wire uh and we'll we'll see where it goes from here because like you said john the the only thing well you didn't say it's thing said and i'm gonna you know paraphrase the only thing for sure about eddie edwards storylines is that nothing is for sure uh you know you do a lot of high school sports nate have you ever seen a Cheaper looking trophy than the one Eddie Edwards was presented with. This was hardly <laughs> Bad News Allen and Bret Hart at WrestleMania 4. I mean, I, I, I don't know, John. I, I don't want to disparage the budget here at Impact Wrestling. You know, we, we've did, already did we talked need a about trophy? it. Was, was that adamant <laughs> that we had to have a trophy presented to the winner of this gauntlet match? I think. Yes, in, in the prize, getting, uh, getting the title exactly. shot of your choice. Give him a, an envelope with a contract in it. I mean, that would have been. Give a certificate. Said we get, like a trophy doesn't even make sense for like you're cashing in for a title shot of your choosing. I didn't even know why we needed this trophy. 
yeah. Brian Cage was shown uh, arriving earlier in the in the evening with Melissa Santos, and they announced the main event is now a no disqualification match. Taya Valkyrie versus Tennille Dashwood for the knockouts title. Uh, I did not think they had done all that great a job building this up. Like, it felt very cold to me, Nate. But Friday's promo from uh, Valkyrie I thought was really good, drawing upon their history of Taya's first match mm. being with Tennille Dashwood and the idea that Valkyrie has since gone to Mexico and is now a seasoned veteran, but Dashwood still views her as that green rookie she faced in Valkyrie's first match. And they also – they didn't really play this up, but both have the history of training at the Storm Wrestling Academy. Yeah, they did not do a good job at all building this up, and it's a shame because both women are extremely talented. And you're right. that There was a real legit story that they could have built upon here, uh, and – I think, you know, they could have done a, a sit down, you know, interview with Lance. That would have been really cool. Yeah. To, to he could have talked about their strengths the and weaknesses. And yep. they weren't in the same class together, but you could certainly talk about, you know, when one of them was progressing at, clearly at a faster rate than the other at the same time period. Mm-hmm. I, I thought there was when they kind of put a spotlight on that on Friday, I was like, man, there was there was lots of layers you could have built up to this. And I don't know. So for to me, for me, Tanil Dashwood is just missing something. And it's just not quite clicked for me. She's a very good wrestler, but I don't know if she stands out in a division that has a lot of good wrestlers. Yeah, honestly, if if you're watching this show with, with fresh eyes and you haven't watched any of the TV leading up to this, coming out of this show, the match you want to see is Taya versus Kylie Ray. Sure. And, and so to me, like... I think they tried to do something the first night when uh, Tennille uh, debuted where they, they showed Taya showing a little bit of fear, a la Brock Lesnar and uh, – And Cain Velasquez. Cain uh, Velasquez. Yeah, yeah the I first person to compare Cain Velasquez to Tennille Dashwood. But there there we go. Uh, yeah, it's a very similar <laughs> principle. And then, like, that's what they should have gone for. Like, this is somebody that Taya came up with that she's been ducking, that she wanted nothing to do with for her entire career. But Tennille knows how to beat her. Uh, and they didn't really do anything with it. So that because of that, like, not only was the build kind of lukewarm, other than that promo you talked about, but the match, while it was a technically sound match, I, it, it wasn't anything that I was really looking forward to. See, now you're giving me all these ideas. It's like, you would have had training footage. Like, I'm sure Lance has footage yes. of these two training, like doing promos and stuff in the, at the gym and stuff like that. Like, you could have made a really compelling package, um, just kind of mirroring their history together and the fact that Dashwood went to WWE. Taya took a mm-hmm. totally different path going to Mexico and now she is the champion and Dashwood is coming for her belt. Um, there was a lot of cool stuff I think you could have done that they really only scratched the surface with, and I don't think – Yeah, because if you do all that, then like her promo, which was good, becomes that much more yeah, better. and really it's the promo that aired on Friday because prior to that, I, I don't think there was much to this going in. No. So we start off the match. Uh, Johnny Bravo comes out. He's got a stuffed animal on a leash that Callus joked was named Hennigan. Uh, we had Taya hitting a backstabber, and then Dashwood applied the tarantula, hit the running knees into the corner. Uh, Dashwood hit a sit-out powerbomb coming out of the corner, and then they go onto the edge of the apron. And Taya is trying for a package pile driver. Dashwood blocks it, and then Taya tries it again, barely lifts her, and hits like this snap package pile driver. And I thought Dashwood was just totally messed up from this. She got onto the floor. 
beat the count back in, appeared to be fine, but this looked um, just like they were on different pages here. Yeah, I think that might have been like the only mis uh, miscommunication of the match. But other than that, like I again, I was not enthused given the story behind the match. But I thought it, bell to bell, it was a technically sound match. Uh, Dashwood would come back with her sliding forearms into the corner, hit the spotlight, which is her running boot, and then the cover gets stopped when Bravo pulled Taya's arm under the ring, and that leads to Johnny Bravo getting ejected. But before he leaves, he passes a chain over to Taya. Dashwood ducks the chain, gets a roll-up for a two-count, and then Dashwood has the chain. And Tease is using it, which would make no sense because she would be disqualified. So instead, she tosses it away, and Dashwood misses a second spotlight, gets hit with a knee lift, and Taya hits Road to Valhalla and retains the title in 11 minutes and 49 seconds. And I'm supposed to feel sympathetic for the baby no, face. Why? Not at all here. This was uh, Dashwood, I think, just totally getting outsmarted at the end by Taya, who wins this clean. Um, yeah, I, I I thought the match was fine. But to me, I, I've seen Taya have a lot better pay-per-view matches. And this one sort of yeah. was just um, c- kind of a standard match for me, like a, at about the level, you know, you'd go in that it was. It was passable. It was fine. I didn't have too much to complain about, but um, not a match at the end of the night I was thinking about either. Yeah, it was It was a good TV match. That's what it was. And it needed to be more given the fact that the build was so lackluster, and unfortunately it wasn't. And I don't know where you go with Dashwood from here, John, because I don't think anybody is clamoring for a rematch. So what, what do you do with this character? I, I think Dashwood really needs to make some changes to her character that just – can stand out a bit more because to me, she just doesn't have that deep of a character that I mean, maybe get her away from the title picture and just some changes because this did not leave itself open for, uh, to, to come back with anything, uh, unless you were going to do some kind of chain match or something. But I, I didn't really feel the need to continue this afterward, but I mean, that's, that's all I could see them doing is like a, a, a rematch on television. But, uh, this one didn't leave with a lot of steam for me. I'll, I'll pass on that chain match, John. Well, I'm trying. <laughs> Rhino did his Rhino promo, just screaming at the top of his lungs, and then Rob Van Dam, very relaxed demeanor, uh, I guess, counteracted Rhino's intensity. Ethan Page and Josh Alexander defending the Impact Tag Titles against Van Dam and Rhino and Willie Mack and Rich Swan, And of the six guys coming out, Nate, Van Damme, I thought, was the most popular of the six. He got the biggest reaction, and he seemed to be the person they were most into during the match, which would make, mm-hmm. make the finish all the more interesting. Um, Swan and Mac double-teamed Page. They had some cool stuff here. Mac, uh, this was a first, hit a 619 to the stomach, the chest of Page, mm-hmm. followed with a slingshot blockbuster. And then Van Damme came in, and it's Van Damme going through his 1999 Rolodex of moves, Rolling Thunder, Split-Legged Moonsault. Uh, then the North got in control of Swan for a while, and that lasted until Swan hit Alexander with the Poison Rana. Matt comes in. He's doing the forever clotheslines, cannonball, standing moonsault. And then Alexander stops Van Dam from going for a five-star frog splash. So Willie Mack's in the opposite end and hits a six-star frog splash on the page. <laughs> and then it was like time stood still because Van Dam had fought off Alexander and he just sat on the turnbuckle and didn't break up the cover. And it just looked like he was on pause or something like this. It was just a very strange, like, freeze by Van Dam. 
It's almost like he was watching what was going on and figuring what was next. So Mac then hit a Topicon hero to Van Dam, Rhino, and Alexander on the floor. Um, Page then military press Swan on the turnbuckle onto the canvas. And as Rhino sets up for the gore, RVD super kicks his partner. The crowd is stunned. And then Van Dam <laughs> lays out Mac and Swan with kicks. No one has any idea what's going on. And he's leaving. Everyone's focused on Van Dam and the North just double team Swan with Alexander passing off uh, Swan to Page for the Alabama Slam. And the champions retain the tag titles at 14 minutes and 23 seconds. But a Rob Van Dam turn was not high on my list of predictions going into this show, Nate. No, no, not at all. I think, first of all, uh, just in terms of the match, because I think the match and the finish are two separate things. And I enjoyed them in two separate ways. I thought the match was good. Uh, it was one of the matches I had high hopes for, given that the North is a team that I really wasn't familiar with, you know, six months ago. But they've quickly become one of my favorite parts of Impact. Uh, Swan and Mac are always good. Uh, the match they had, I want to say a month ago now, the uh, farewell for LAX. Right, yes. Uh, was, was one of my favorite Impact matches of the year. Uh, and so I had a feeling it was going to be good. And, you know, just as long as, you know, Rob Van Dam and Rhino, you keep them in it to do what they, they do. They, you know, they were there. The like, I, I expected them to be among the most over people on this show. Um, yeah. And, and they had their place. I thought Rich Swan was really great in this match. Yeah, Rich Swan was great. Willie, like, I think Willie Mack is super underrated. Uh, for what he brings to the table. Uh, so, yeah, I enjoyed the match. I thought that they went with the right move, letting the North retain, because uh, you can spin that off into uh, Mac and Swan chasing. Uh, but in terms of the turn for Rob Van Dam, just a, a weird... I don't get it. You know, if this was... I, I don't dismiss it outright, because I, I desperately think that Van Dam, like... He very much is a nostalgia act right now. Like he is playing the yes. same guy he was 20 years ago and you do need to update that. So I'm kind of curious to see if he's got some, some kind of a character remake in mind, but my, my hopes are not high on that one, but I am still curious to see it because Van Damme turning in essence, you would think like he has to make some wholesale changes to everything that has defined this guy and <laughs> he's gonna come out with a suit and a beard next week oh, and he's robert van damme hey, it's a it's a very awkward it's a very <laughs> awkward and this guy as i said was the most over he, this guy was one of the most popular people on this show tonight so yeah. it's a curious decision I, I think... as opposed to like a rhino for instance that those matches lend themselves to rob van damme being the baby face and rhino being yeah. the big bruising heel i think the only silver lining for this, John, and again, you know, we, we've got to let the story play out, but I think the silver lining for me would be, at this stage of the game, Van Damme's biggest asset, besides his name, is elevating people. Right. And I think it might be easier for him to elevate people as a heel than as a babyface. I just don't know if they're good. you're going to be able to get people to boo Rob Van Damme in 2019. It's going to be difficult. Um so I'm well. I'm curious to see how it how it goes. It's um. It definitely seems like an uphill battle to get this one across, especially if he's going to be feuding with Rhino out of the gate. So, um, yeah, and, and you know, it was a minor thing, but I, I just feel the North were kind of afterthoughts during this finish because everyone was focused on the Van Dam turn. Um, but I, I like the North as a team. I think these guys are doing a really good job together, and 
they, they feel like a concerted tag team act that they are pushing. Like they were given the credit for getting rid of LAX and they're getting this, you know, fairly lengthy tag title run and they're really trying to establish these yeah. guys as that top tag team. One one last thing about the turn, John. It didn't it didn't make sense not from the standpoint of Rob Van Dam turning, but why did he just wait to the end of the match? Again, like, we'll, why we'll have to hear his reasoning for this. Maybe Rhino did something so horrible in this match. But again, that was yeah. another one where what were you guys fighting for 14 minutes prior to this and what necessitated this? So it's like it's like you and I, we, we do this entire show tonight. And then an hour and 30 minutes into it, I'm like, you know what? Screw you, Paula. Come out of here. You, you're like, you're going to do your best on rest to my mic today and get up and say <laughs> post wrestling at a meeting today. And John. You didn't stand up for me. And I'm doing a terrible, <laughs> I'm doing terrible justice to Don West and one of his greatest, the greatest promo of Don West's life. Uh, I don't know which, I don't know what I enjoyed most. Heel Don West or when uh, TNA brought back like heel Tony Schiavone for that one week. Oh, I was, I enjoyed Don West a lot. And that turn as, as weird as it was to take a guy, a, a really <laughs> beloved figure if you were going to turn him, Don West was awesome for that brief time they turned yeah. him before they had Taz take over for him. But that – if you have never seen uh, him turning on Mike Tanay and the promo he delivers to Mike Tanay, it's fantastic. It was one of the best promos that year. I wonder why nobody's ever gone back to Don West. Uh, I – Maybe it's you know he's got his his life beyond wrestling that maybe financially you know he's really happy doing what he's doing just yeah. the uh um like he's still doing all the collectible stuff stuff still so maybe it's uh and you don't have to travel that's not a bad gig yeah <laughs> Ace Austin was in the women's locker room where he had just had a shower uh, he was informed of this by Alicia Edwards and. Austin is still hoping that she will come out to celebrate with him afterwards. So this angle, I feel I have to explain for those not following the TV every week. Ace Austin is the young punk who is trying to break up the marriage of Eddie and Alicia Edwards and is trying to get with Alicia. Even though he has just shown up on television with like these random women that he makes out with. So I don't know if he's mounting the best campaign to woo Alicia. So how long until we get the Alicia Edwards turn, John Pollock? Um, probably when they team up in an intergender tag match and they've been teaming for 14 minutes. And then the final 23 <laughs> seconds, it's turn time. Michael Elgin versus Naomichi Marafuji, which is how you say his name. And when he came out, first of all, Naomichi was eliminated. He was just Marafuji. But then the graphic came up. Did you see this? Yes, with the G. So he was his graphic read Marafugi, F-U-G-I, yet right underneath they had correctly spelled his Twitter handle with the proper spelling of Marafuji. So that that was next level. I mean, to be fair, it's kind of like GIF and JIF, I guess. <laughs> Were they interchangeable? Uh, I guess so, and I guess they looked at this and said, you know what, maybe we'll just spell it two different ways, one on top of the other. That said, uh, that was maybe my biggest gripe with this with this match. Uh, Marafuji had his right arm all taped up, and Elgin hits a suicide dive early and then a missile drop kick in the ring. I mean, if anything was more clear, it was that, you know, Michael Elgin had said in the lead up to this, he was going out to have 
the best match of 2019. He didn't have the best match of 2019, and that's a pretty lofty standard to set for yourself. Uh, but this guy was certainly working with the intention of having an incredible match. Like you could certainly see that with Elgin from the minute this match began. Yeah, I was not from too familiar uh, with Mara Fuji. Like I've seen the name a bunch of times, and I've seen a match or two here or there, but knowing that this match meant so much to Elgin. I had, you know, I was anticipating something good. I was just imagining 40-year-old Naomichi Marafuji scrolling Twitter and it's like, oh, God, we're going to have the best match of 2019. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, Marafuji hit his uh, his thrust kick, attempted the bicycle knee, and then missed German from Elgin and then a falcon arrow for a two-count. The toughest thing was just getting this crowd because these guys were working an incredible pace and they did have the crowd at certain times, but uh, they were they were throwing everything in this one with uh, Marafuji hitting a Shiranui onto the floor, the sliced bread in the ring. Marafuji got hit with a dragon suplex, rolling elbow, discus lariat, then a splash mountain and Marafuji kicked out from that. Then Elgin hit the Elgin bomb and Marafuji came back with two bicycle knees, drilling him in the back of the head with one, then another Shiranui for a near fall. They exchanged chops, huge chops, and then Marafuji hit several of his big hook kicks that looked awesome uh, before taking a slam. And then Elgin hit this massive lariat, buckle bomb, Elgin bomb. Everyone thinks it's over, and Marafuji kicks out like with a microsecond mm. to go, and they did not mistime it. It was a great near fall, and... I just, it just in another setting, Nate, this place would have exploded because, man, this Elgin bomb is extremely protected. Yeah, imagine if this were on a AW. A- anyway, on a, like if on this a, was a Corbin Hall, night. man, like this. Yeah, on New Japan. Like they yep. worked this like a, like a G1 match. It was, yeah. you know, they were going all out here, especially Elgin, uh, who continued with a spinning back fist, placed Marafuji onto the top, and delivered a burning hammer. For the win in 18 minutes and four seconds. My only criticism was the crowd in this, but this was, uh, this was my match of the night. I thought these two really just tore it down. I just wish it was a more, not to say the crowd was dead. They, I wouldn't say that. It just not as hot as you would expect for the action that they were getting here. And, and right. maybe a different and I, case in the building than it came across on the broadcast. I, it, possibly, uh, but I, I thought this was a really, really strong match. Probably my, <clears throat> probably my match of the night and getting so choked up thinking back about it. Uh, but you know, the cliche scene in the, in the movies, John, where you've got like the kind of nerdy kind of nebbish girl and then she takes off the glasses and undoes her hair and all of a sudden she's a supermodel. Yes. She's all that's, that. That's, <laughs> she's all that. <laughs> that's what I thought about this match. Cause going in, I was like, okay, it's going to be a pretty good match. I had no idea it was going to be this good. It was hard hitting. It was fast paced. This is this is probably Michael Elgin's best match in a long time. And I thought that in a in front of a better crowd, it would have come across just that much better. But even still, with with this crowd here in Illinois, I thought it came across really well and Honestly, like it, it puts Elgin in a position where his stock has, has been elevated tonight because of this match with Marfuji. Yeah, and I, I thought it was a no-brainer. Elgin goes over here on the impact side. He's also got uh, – he's 
challenging uh, Takeshi Sugiura on the Noah card November 2nd. So this only builds him up for that title match that much more. Maybe Sugiura gets the win back for Noah on that show. Mm. Uh, or with this partnership, the idea of Elgin going over and bringing a Noah championship back to Impact uh, to see how deep this relationship is. But you know, I was going to ask you that, John. Like how – I mean, obviously you just posed the question, but how – solid is this working relationship it seems like i mean they're they're regularly this is two months in a row where they've sent talent over for the big show of the tour and mm. and noah's reciprocated i mean sending mar fuji over it tells me like they're they're on pretty good standing right now but with, with the two companies so um yeah that's a that's a possibility with elgin going over november 2nd which is uh, a fairly big show for for noah as well so it'll be interesting to see how much more talent exchanges there are going into the new year yeah, I think it's a cool thing, and it's something when Impact was at its best that they did well, and then when Impact, conversely, was at its worst, they ended up pissing off a lot of other companies. So I'm hoping this is more of the uh, the uh, former rather than the latter. Uh, then Josh Matthews uh, officially announced Joey Ryan signing with Impact, and we go into the ladder match. Jake Crist, Tessa Blanchard, Ace Austin, Daga, and AC Romero, who got the spot on Saturday's impact card, um, courtesy of Josh's phone, and gets into the ladder match after signing a contract with impact. So AC Romero into probably people most familiar with that, that viral spot that he had a year or two ago, delivering the pounce that sent the guy flying out of the ring. Mm. That really he got his notoriety. He's also done MLW in the past. So, uh, an interesting pickup and putting him in a, in a big position here. Uh, with Jake Chris defending the X Division title. And this match, insanity. Uh, tons of just crazy stuff here. Um, going into this match, where were you expecting this to, to end with? Who did you see going over? I think everybody expected Tessa Blanchard to go over because she is obviously the biggest star of any of the people involved in this match. That's what I thought was, was happening in this. Um, so Blanchard immediately goes after Jake Crist and hit these multiple suicide dives until the third one where she was caught with a cutter. Uh, we had Daga and Tessa fighting for control of the ladder. And I, I like the fact that they don't bring up the relationship between Daga and, and Tessa. Like, let's not introduce that to this. It just, to me, it kind of adds like a, if you're not going to go with that as a, as a heavy storyline, then why even introduce it? And then it makes no sense in a scenario like this, where you're having a ladder match with your significant other. Yeah. Besides we've already got Eddie and Alicia, so we don't need more relationship yeah. drama on this don't, show. Don't put your relationship in the hands of impact. Um, <laughs> Romero hit his pounce onto Daga when the ladder was going for a cutter. Uh, Blanchard hit Magnum to Austin coming off the turnbuckle. And then, Romero held the ladder as Daga dove off the top with a leg drop for that teeter-totter spot, firing the ladder right into Romero's face. There was also a spot where Daga and Blanchard were holding the ladder on the floor. Yes. And Romero just dove to the floor into this ladder. I don't know what he was planning to accomplish with this. Like, <laughs> what was the idea of diving into this ladder had I don't know what the objective was here other than I'm going to kill myself with this dive. I don't know how much Romero got paid for tonight, John, but whatever he got paid, it wasn't enough for some of the uh, bumps oh he took. Oh, my God. We will get to an absolutely horrific moment in a few seconds here. Um, Chris came back, stopped Romero with a cutter 
off of the ladders, the two ladders that were stacked. And they actually had Romero climbing both ladders at the same time to disperse his weight. Um, Daga dove over the top with a Canadian destroyer to Jake through a ladder that was balanced between the ring and the guardrail. That was only like the third most insane spot in this match. And that was frightening. Okay, John. So this match, I enjoyed this match. I'll, I'll put that out there first. But given what we've seen, not only in this company with some of these ladder matches and the hardcore matches, but also with AEW, do you feel like their wrestling in general is kind of reaching a saturation point for this type of match where the audience doesn't react to some of these spots and they're like, You've got to find ways to top yourself, and ultimately it's not a good deal for the performers. I mean, I was still shocked in this match at several moments, so I think that is the goal. But I'm with you on, like, the the ladder matches to me. Like, I I have kind of hit a breaking point with the ladder matches, and I don't want to see the bar raised anymore because, you know, coming off that um, – the match at All Out with the Bucks and Pentagon and Phoenix, I mean, you know, it it was a miracle the Bucks were okay after that. and. You know, they have talked about how damaged they were after that match. I cannot imagine what uh, some of the performers in this match will be like tomorrow because this was this was pretty scary to watch some of this. And I'm it's not my that's not the emotion I like to have watching wrestling where I am concerned that someone might not get up. Yeah, I think like one or two spots can be very effective. But if the entire match is kind of this, we're going to throw caution to the wind and, and be be I don't want to use the word reckless because obviously they, they know what they're doing, but to be so casual with, with your bodies. Uh, and maybe it's just getting older, John, because I'm sure the 20-year-old me would have ate this up. But now that I'm older and I've got old football injuries and old baseball injuries and just the creakiness that comes with, with uh, getting older, it's like, oh, yeah, this, this is not going to end well for you, Romero, in, in 15, 20 years. Listen, I, I have hardly ever taken a Canadian destroyer. But at the very least, you at least know what is happening as both bodies are in motion. You understand where the target is. You know how to position yourself and take it as best as you can. And it's a frightening looking spot, but both performers are still in control of their movement with Ace Romero. Uh, let's. Uh, we also had a spot where uh, Ace Austin did the Shelton Benjamin leap running up the ladder in the corner and then a somersault dive to the floor. And then Ace Romero uh, climbs the ladder. Tessa comes in and is able to tip the ladder as Blanchard gets this big spot with, to showcase her strength. Ace Romero tries to balance on the top rope and just Ooh. slips. This 400-plus-pound man slips. And this is when this guy is in no control of his landing. As he's slipping, his body could have gone any which way. And just flew. He slips on the rope and flies through the table on the floor. And I just, I was watching this alone and gave out the largest gasp. I was absolutely frightened for this man doing this spot. And this guy, the fact he got up was a miracle. Yeah, it was. This was the scariest thing on the show for me. Yeah, like it, it's a shot that's that's impressive, and like we already saw impact within minutes headed up on their Twitter page. But Ooh. just thinking about the performer as a human being, like no, like there, there was no need, no reason for this this to be the spot, and particularly when you talk about a guy that size oh. and 
like the biggest force is gravity in in this equation and you can't control yourself going down so yeah it's it was visually impressive but certainly a risk that i don't think needed to be taken yeah, it was it was way too too far for me um blanchard has the match won on the ladder she's climbing when dave christ and madman fulton run in and she fights them off she hit Fulton with a Hurricane Rana, and then she's climbing the ladder. Jake Crist returns, and you think that Jake is going to knock her off, but instead Tessa knocks Jake off the ladder with these right hands, and he goes through a table on the floor, and everyone thinks that the coast is clear. Tessa is just seconds away from winning, and out of nowhere, Ace Austin leaps onto the ladder, strikes Tessa with a baton. Tessa falls and Ace Austin grabs the title at 17 minutes and 15 seconds. I would say a totally um, surprising finish for me that Ace Austin steals this one from Tessa Blanchard. But Ace Austin is your X Division champion, and to Impact's credit, you have set up a clear path for Ace Austin and Eddie Edwards coming out of this. Yeah, they did, and you. I guess you got to give them credit for that, John, but I hated this finish. I thought it was the time to put this on Tessa, and the way they – they hit it so hard on Friday that this ultimate destination of Sammy Callahan and Tessa Blanchard, that's where I thought things were going. And, you know, I I don't think that the loss to Sammy Callahan um, hurt Tessa at Slammiversary. Um, I think they've done a very good job with the follow-up of that. But oh, I just see Tessa's so popular that I just – I wouldn't want to be just constantly beating her in these big situations as opposed to just giving her – a big win. And I thought tonight was the night to do it. I don't think anyone would have objected to her winning the X division title tonight. Absolutely. I, you know, and I remember we had this conversation at Slammiversary and I came down on the side where I didn't mind the loss to Sammy Callahan because a, it, it fit for the story and B I thought Sammy needed a win at the time because he had lost too many big matches in my and, opinion. And given where they were going on this show, it does make sense. Like I was very much in the camp of Tessa winning that, but obviously coming out of it like that is, like Tessa beating Sammy is has got to be the big payoff. It's just a question of when. But tonight was not a yeah, step towards that. This should have been the night because she would have gotten the X Division title, and you know the option C is built in, and that leads us to Sammy Callahan. Right. And so I don't know why they didn't do it. Obviously, yes, cool. It's or Ace and Eddie, but Tessa Blanchard is arguably your biggest star in this company. And I thought they had a chance tonight in front of a crowd that really wanted to see her win to take her to that next level and elevate her to that next level. And unfortunately, like, I don't know how many chances you get, John, to not pull the trigger on somebody before the audience starts to tune that person out. Yeah, I I just thought from a PR angle as well that you're going into access. You want to have some attention on yourself. I think it's a cool deal to see Tessa win this title. And it's like... Here's this female who's won what's been a a male only title, and it's not it's not a publicity stunt. Like, yes, you'll get publicity from it, but it's not a stunt. There is no fan I think that's watching Impact right now that would not say Tessa is arguably your most over babyface, and it's totally logical for her to be not just X Division champion, but in the championship picture with the winner of tonight's main event going forward with that, which we presumed was going to be Callahan, but is not. Yeah, not only yeah, not only that, John, but just in terms of your TV show, like that's a compelling story that you can tell for months, you know, until we get to, I don't know what the hell they're going to call it in January because I know it was kill. homecoming. 
Hard to Kill? Yes, that's the name of the pay-per-view, Hard to Kill. Was that on the show tonight? They did mention the name, yes, once. I missed that because, yeah. I, I, <laughs> it's not a homecoming. I, I was, it's now Hard to Kill in January. Yeah, I was going to say they were going to call it uh, Impact Far From Home to keep up the Spider-Man theme. <laughs> well, they're far from their next home whenever – if they ever find <laughs> another one. Hard to Kill. Honest. <laughs> that is that is true. That, that might be the most honest title of a wrestling show ever. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, so, and, and then the uh, I, the uh, opening video package for Hard to Kill will just be like the worst segments in Impact history. Vince Russo with sex, Dixie Carter with Claire Lynch, Jeff Jarrett, and then Ace Romero got taking a, his bump. Yep. Yeah, well, who's the who's that guy? Is it Barry Jackson? Oh, the vo- the voiceover guy. Yes. Yeah. And you're like. Everybody thought we were dead. The last rights we were been. written at the end of Spike <laughs> TV, but we prevail. Like a cockroach, we rose. <laughs> Impact Wrestling is hard to kill. <laughs> oh, boy. So uh, after this, you know, the one thing here, Austin, uh, Ace Austin grabs the title and it was like the classic cut to the back immediately like you don't get that championship celebration it was like such a quick cut to the back and i'm sure they were yeah. fighting the clock here but this was uh you know it, it's one thing that was always kind of uh to me was an issue with impact in the past was just you know you wouldn't let a big win sink in you wouldn't get the post match celebration it was just boom we're done next chapter um and with that we went to the back uh gabrielle loren who has been doing their backstage interviews uh spoke with moose and Frank Trigg. Moose mm. says he's been preparing for this moment his whole life. He's faced a lot of dangerous men in the NFL, including Ray Lewis. Mm. I thought he was going to name Pac-Man Jones. I mean, is, is, if the long term for this, so, since Ken Shamrock can be on a pay-per-view in 2019, anything is possible, John. I hope the long-term booking is... Ray Lewis versus Moose in January at Hard to Kill. Well, uh, given Ray's history, I don't know if he wants to be on a on a show with Kill oh, in the title. Jesus Christ! So I didn't even put those ones together. <laughs> Frank Trigg, who has the the opposite, uh, the nickname of Twinkle Toes, said this will this match with Ken Shamrock will be super easy. Ken's got two things: an arm bar and an ankle lock. That's it. He said Shamrock is not as strong as Moose. His cardio is way worse. Um, you know, listen, I always believe in a promo. You don't bury your opponent. Um, but but I thought in this match, like, Ken came out and uh, save for uh, – listen, uh, we'll, we'll get into all of it. What, what did you think of the promo here? I thought Trigg's delivery was awesome here. I really like these two together. But I can also see people being negative that this was just totally – um, burying your baby face before he was about to lose a match. I like I like Moose a lot, and I think him and Trigg have great chemistry. Yes. Uh, I didn't mind it. I didn't mind it because I, I didn't either. Because I think the audience got into Ken Shamrock. This wasn't like Ken just. Yeah. Um. Granted, there. I think if it was an up and coming baby face, yeah, you probably don't want to do that. But Ken Shamrock is kind of bulletproof in this situation. Yeah, like I took this to be these two are just so cocky and they're in for a rude awakening, which they got with Ken Shamrock. Like that was part of the story here. But I- I'm with you. I thought these two were great together and I would like to see Frank Trigg um, pl- uh, be paired with Moose. I thought he was great here. 
So Ken Shamrock and Moose was our uh, co-main event here. Second from the top. Shamrock, uh, I guess, proved the promo true. He immediately went for an armbar that Moose defends, and then he moved to the heel hook. Moose grabs the rope. And then Moose gets sent to the floor with a back body drop, and I don't know what was going through this man's mind, but 55-year-old Ken Shamrock dove over the top rope, and he was about to plunge to his death when Moose was able at the last minute to just steer Ken over so that he would land much safer than the trajectory of which he was about to hit the floor. This uh, was my second biggest gasp of the night, uh, just as frightening as Ace Romero. But I, uh, this was just mind-boggling. Yeah, I... If Moose had not been able to catch this guy, it would have been bad, really bad news. Like congratulations of you know for the the guts to to attempt that Ken Shamrock, but discretion is a better part of valor. And I yeah I was not uh, was not uh, looking forward to what would have happened if Moose hadn't been aware in that moment. So and we should mention like Ken was like he was in his like 1998 attire here. He was in the trunks like yeah no, nothing covered up. I mean. He was uh, he looked insane. Yeah, Shamrock looked good, and then uh, you know, not to steal WH Park's gimmick, but I really liked uh, Moose's tights, like the oh, the blue, the uh, Houston, the Houston Oilers colors. I, I dug it. Shamrock sent Moose into the ramp uh, with a back body drop, and then Trig grabbed Shamrock's leg as he was trying to get in, and then Trig removed the top turnbuckle pad, which would play into the finish. Shamrock uh, went in, leaped for a, a Hurricane Rana, and hit a belly-to-belly like his patented spots, applied the ankle lock, but Moose grabbed the referee, knocking him into Shamrock to break the submission, and with the referee out, Moose hit a low blow. Then Moose grabbed a chair but missed with Shamrock, who suplexed Moose into the corner. He reapplied the ankle lock, and again, Moose reached the rope, and then Shamrock pulled him to the center. Frank Trigg comes into the ring, and he just takes this really like weak bump off the punch, and that to me was when the air came out of this balloon. Like there was a like Ken worked hard in this. But the match needed to be short, and that was evident if you had seen the physicality they did on TV, and they went over 10 minutes. This thing should have been probably six, and from this moment, it just felt like they lost the crowd, and it was just into the the pro wrestling kind of gaga stuff. Moose scaled to the top and did this random moonsault where Shamrock was in no position to take this. Moose just took a – it was like he was fighting the invisible man here where he took this moonsault. Shamrock applies the ankle lock for a third time, and Moose did the deal like Kurt would do in all his matches, where Moose rolled to send Ken into the exposed buckle. It was just so poorly timed. It looked awful. He missed the top turnbuckle that was exposed. The announcers are admitting that he just grazed it, and this set up the spear and the finish as Moose pinned him at 1028. I think had this been six minutes – I think this wouldn't have overstayed its welcome and people would have thought like, I don't think people's expectations for this match were very high. The buildup I thought was very good with the promos, but it was the last couple of minutes that I think you just lost everyone with on this one. Yeah. Match was way too long. And I thought, you know, they should have called an audible on the finish yeah, given just, that he missed the, awful. the turnbuckle completely. Uh, you know, they should have treated Ken Shamrock like they do whenever they bring in uh, one of the uh, ex professional athletes. And, done a, a quick match or, you know, done something to hide Ken Shamrock's deficiencies because while 
I was impressed uh, to, to some extent, John, with the way Ken looked in this match. You could tell, like the promo that Frank Trigg cut. You know, he, he didn't have the cardio. He, he, he doesn't have the cardio he did yeah. when he was in his 20s and 30s. That, that's where I was and like so, negative on the promo because it's like you were calling out things that were evident in this match. Yep. And that's, you know, I like Trigg's delivery, but it was, you know, too honest. And you, you saw that in this match. Like just, you know, he's 55 and he's been through a lot in his career, in his life. And he's he's going to be slower than people remember this guy 20 years ago in a pro wrestling setting. But you're right. If this were a six or seven minute match at the most, then I think people's thoughts coming out of this match would be a lot more positive. You know, it wasn't it wasn't a terrible match. It just had a bad finish. And I think it overstayed its welcome. Yeah, I think, you know, Ken did more than I thought he would. Like that dive was just yeah. it was frightening. I wouldn't want to see him do it again. But it was, you know, I I just feel had you had you cut it off, it would have left people. And when, you know, when he was hitting his uh, signature spots, they, they look good. Yeah, it's like, you know, you could have just um Cut, cut out some stuff. I think it was just a little too ambitious. This is where they promote Hard to Kill. It's going to take place January, but no date has been revealed as of yet. So TBA, when we'll be talking in January, Nate. What's what's the hardest to kill city in America? What's what's the most resilient city in America? Is it New Orleans? Would Would that be the city that keeps getting beat up but never gives up? Um... God, I, I feel if I say any city, I'm going to get angry tweets tomorrow from people from that city thinking I'm knocking them or something. So I'll, I'll just, Hoboken, I'll New Jersey. <laughs> that was N, the number eight, M-O-Z-A-I-K for yeah, I'll, I'll get angry residents. letters from uh, I'll get angry letters from Brandon and uh, MJ from NJ tomorrow. Well, I mean, if they're running a Sunday night pay-per-view, uh, the 26th is taken with the Royal Rumble. So that leaves you. I wouldn't want to run January 5th, the weekend of those back-to-back Tokyo Dome shows. Um, that leaves you kind of the 12th or the 19th, I guess, is your options, which, I mean, one of those, uh, you tell me, the 19th would probably be the um, conference championships for the NFL playoffs, I believe, <laughs> if the Super Bowl is on February 2nd. Yeah, you're, yeah, you're cutting it close. You're cutting it close. the Rumble so... always tries to avoid that. So, <sighs> yeah, it's probably January 12th would make the most sense, I would think. We'll see. Yeah, you're probably right. Maybe maybe they should just go with the moniker hard to kill and run against the Super Bowl February 2nd. <laughs> we're so confident in our abilities to withstand our demise that we're going to run against the biggest television event of the year. We're not scared. Uh, and then you do your Moose Ray Lewis match. <laughs> Main event time. Brian Cage, Sammy Callahan for the Impact title. I couldn't describe this in my report. Can you do your best to paint the picture of what Brian Cage was dressed as coming out here? He looked like Batman's latest villain. Yes. Yeah, so if it, I think this is an homage to Wolverine. It, it definitely if, was. Um, like, it just, I don't even know where you start to try and put so this together. If anybody has seen the movie uh, X-Men, I want to say Days of Future Past. Uh, no, it's not Days of Future Past. It's the next one. You're asking the it's wrong one person. It's one of the new X-Men movies. It's it's uh, it's not First Class. It's not Days of Future Past. I guess it might be Apocalypse. It's it's one of the new James McAvoy X-Men. But anyway. Once uh, again, that's at N, the number eight, M-O-Z-A-I-K. <laughs> it's, they find uh, Logan, and he's, he's trapped, uh, and, and he's uh, caught. 
in the Weapon X program, and he's got like this thing on his head with these wires coming out, and they rescue him, and he runs away. Uh, so I guess that's what the homage was. Uh, you know, it's it's. I guess it's. I, I mean, what, it looked four cool. Years ago? It, it looked cool. And it's time for wrestling. It's timely. It was only three or four years ago when that movie came yeah, out. This this did not look like a low rent outfit either. Like it looked like there there was some time and and money that went into this thing. So, um, so immediately Cage goes after Callahan. There's no in ring introductions, which you know they really hit the grudge element hard in this. Um, I, I liked a lot of the the subtle stuff, like just. You know, sometimes I find swearing and wrestling to be such a turnoff and gratuitous. I didn't mind kind of the the shit talking between these two, like in the match where they were going back and forth. Um, I, I thought it it fit the feud. Um, we had Callahan spit into Cage's face, and that prompted uh, Don Callis. I don't need to hear yell "Holy shit!" when someone spits in someone's face, given what Don Callis has been subjected to tonight. <laughs> um, but the performers, I didn't mind. Callahan used the Wolverine, or sorry, Cage used the Wolverine claw on Callahan's forehead, so it's all mm. bloody. This is just several minutes into the match. Um, so, th- so there you go. Yes, like we weren't even five minutes into the match, I don't think, and. Callahan's already bleeding, and and it was X Men Apocalypse. So I I fact check check myself before the uh, fact checker had a chance to do it. There you go. They're very quick though. They will not have waited <laughs> this this long to before they have alerted you. Uh, Cage got his bottom lip all busted open as well, so he had some blood. Cage then lifted and sent Callahan into the post with a power bomb. Then balanced a guardrail on the steps in a chair, but Callahan stopped it with the groin claw and hit the cactus special, pile driving Cage through the guardrail. The crowd chanted, "That was murder," which prompted Josh Matthews to clarify and say, "Attempted murder." <laughs> Correct. No one is dead. Which on this show, it was a miracle. They kept up just a huge pace here. Cage caught him with the F5. Callahan kicked out of that. Then Cage brought the guardrail into the ring, but it ended with Callahan going across the ring, powerbombing Cage into the guardrail for a two count. Callahan then brought out thumbtacks and delivered a pile driver to Cage on the tacks. Cage kicked out at one, made his comeback, and hit the drill claw onto the tacks, pinning Sammy Callahan totally clean, 16 minutes and 34 seconds. And... I thought this was a, like a really fast-paced, hard-hitting main event, and they did not let up for the 16 and a half minutes. And you got, you know, the babyface got his revenge on the heel. That was the story at the end of this. Josh Matthews yeah. said it's the happy ending, and Brian Cage is done with Sammy Callahan. And it ended with Melissa Santos celebrating with Brian Cage in the ring. Like this felt like the end of this story. Yeah, really strong match uh, exceeded my expectations, but again. I was kind of scratching my head at the finish, John. I was not expecting this. If I had made predictions, uh, I was thinking that we were getting Callahan as your big heel champion going into the Access TV era and Tessa chasing him. And uh, yeah, I was I was surprised by the outcomes on all of this. Um, or at least those two matches were surprising. Yeah, especially with the, the finality of the match and you have the announcer saying that he's done. And, and so if if they really are moving on to another program, like, I don't know what you do with Sammy. Cause obviously in game is Sammy and Tessa somehow, somewhere. And maybe not for so the I don't title. Know what you, yeah. I guess the title doesn't have to be involved. Uh, but I, I don't know where you go next with 
Callahan or, or Cage for that matter. Like I don't know who's the guy that's ready for for Cage. Do we do we go to Moose? Uh, is is that the next guy up, or, or do we go with Elgin again? I don't know. You just did Elgin, so it yeah. almost feels like um you're revisiting that one too quickly. Moose was the one I thought coming out of this. Um, you know, if you if you're looking at this logically and wins and losses should matter, then it sh- it should be Moose. I wouldn't mind that. I, th- I think uh, particularly if Frank Trigg sticks around, like the they're going to have to do the heavy lifting in terms of promos because that is not uh, Brother Cage's str- strong suit. So, yeah, we can get some entertaining stuff from Moose and Trigg. Maybe Ken's going to cut his promos for him. Ooh. <laughs> Keep Ken around. can be Brian Cage's mouthpiece. So uh, that was the Bound for Glory show. I guess um, how did you feel the show delivered uh, as a whole? Where Where did this one rank for Nate Milton? <sighs> I think the good news, John, is Impact is past the point where they have bad shows. They don't do those anymore. They don't do shows that are just terrible. They don't do shows that are, you know, laughable anymore. Uh, But I don't know if this is a great show. I I can't call it that. I thought the Shamrock match kind of fell apart at the end. I don't understand the Tessa Blanchard decision in the uh, X Division match. Uh, I still want to see where they go with Rob Van Dam. And I was surprised that they kept the title on cage at the end. So it wasn't a bad show, uh, but it wasn't a great show either. Like, I, I don't know if there's outside of the Marafuji match with Elgin. I don't know if there's something that the listeners need to go out of their way and, and watch uh, tomorrow's if they didn't see the show tonight. So, you know, it wasn't a bad show. It wasn't, it wasn't a great show. It was just, it was just a good show. And, Given the history of this company, uh, I think they'll, they're, they're happy with a good show right now. Yeah, I, I thought that um, Elgin Marafuji was my match of the night. I, I enjoyed the main event a lot as well. Uh, the, the latter match, I just, man, I was really uneasy with, with some of the risks taken, but you can't deny like those five were extremely hard in that, in that match. Um, and those were, yeah, those were to me like the big highlights of, of this show. And, you know, I, I'd go probably yeah six and six and a half to seven out of ten on this on this show, which is you know I think I think in the ballpark with what you thought. Like it was it was a good show. I I didn't regret watching tonight's show by any stretch, but also one where um, the recommendations would be probably like those three if that ladder yeah. match is your cup of tea, which it was a spectacle. Yeah, and then you know the tag match, uh, the three way tag match was good, but again, the the decision to have RVD turn kind of makes you scratch your head a bit. All right, let's go to the forum here. We have a few pieces of feedback, and the forum gives this show a five point eight six, so it gets a pass, but not a gigantic one. Uh, Brandon from Oshawa writes, this was a solid show with what I thought was some very questionable booking. I thought the Battle Royal should have been either Kylie Ray to set up a challenger for Taya or Eddie Edwards to set up the obvious rematch to what I thought would happen at the end of the night. Uh, well, Edwards did win, so should be happy about that. Uh, the show really picked up for me with the Marfuji Elgin match, but while it was great, unfortunately for Elgin, I don't think it's going to be considered match of the show, let alone match of the year. This would have gotten over much better in a G1. Um, the X Division ladder match was great. I fully expected Tessa to win to set up another challenge again for what I expected to happen in the main event. I'm over the Tessa feuding with men's story. I was going to be pissed if she fought off all of OVE and won. I popped huge for Ace Austin. 
Shamrock was impressive. Match sucked, though, and I really I really feel sorry for him that he wasted this performance in front of so few people. He would have gotten over bigger in AEW or WWE. Main event was my favorite match of the night, but had a terrible ending. You'd normally expect the babyface to come out on a story like this, but Sammy's tremendous right now, and there are more stories for this coming out. He probably should have suggested a cuck angle where Melissa turned on Cage to go with Sammy Callahan. <laughs> Listen, I... I was expecting Callahan to win this match, but at the same time, when the babyface is so wronged, like this angle, I don't, I don't yeah. dismiss, like we talk about how difficult, uh, WWE has with babyfaces, and it was here your top babyface got his revenge without any controversy. He was the better man tonight. And sometimes you do have to do that. Like the babyface has to win the feud, um, because you don't want him to just, like what happens after this Callahan wins and moves on. And it's almost like he's justified for attacking this man's wife. So um, I can't dismiss the outcome. It wasn't what I was expecting though. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that they kind of worked themselves into a corner though, because yes, ostensibly Brian cage is your world champion is your top baby face, but I don't think he's the top star. I think that's Tessa. Right. And you had led everyone into this direction. Um, that, you know, you can still deliver on with Sammy and Tessa. It's just a question of how they get there, which you do want to yeah. have that kind of intrigue as well. Um, Brandon from New Jersey. You're familiar with Brandon from New Jersey, I'm sure, Nate. Yes, the, the, the Prince of Hoboken, I believe, is his other moniker. Good evening, my bros. Been a minute since we spoke. It's a pleasure to talk to the Rob Terry of podcasters, Brother Nate. I don't know if that's a compliment. I don't know how I'm supposed to take that. The show was interesting from the return of Maha Billy Shira, which is how he spelt it, to Ken Shamrock and his muscle suit he bought in Argentina at the same stem cell facility that Nick Gage frequents. I love the women's division. Hope they sign Kylie Ray. Hope they don't put the belt on Solomon Crow. Some meanderings. Fellas, what does Impact have in store for the TNA reunion show? Half of the Impact legends work at NXT, so Abyss can't do a Monsters Ball Legends match. My bet is Judas Macias gets the King of the Mountain Legends title over Danny Bonaducci. Will Steven Seagal be special enforcer on Hard to Kill? Big day on Wednesday in the Wrestling Wars with an NBA doubleheader and the World Series. What do you fellows expect? A lot of questions there, Nate. Any you want to tackle? <laughs> I mean, I am available for the uh, TNA reunion show if they want to book me. Uh, I guess we we'll should negotiate uh, that. that. Ethan Page tweeted, he at least hinted at Impact yes. doing a TNA a TNA nostalgia show WrestleMania weekend, but the company has not announced anything yet. But yeah, I just, I wonder who you put on a TNA nostalgia show other than some of like your, you know, your shark boys and yeah. characters that you'll remember from TNA. But I mean, when you think of TNA, it's like everyone notable is pretty much with, with WWE, even though they're making this pitch for the young bucks. Yeah. I think, you know, maybe maybe the biggest name you can bring back that's not signed is Mike Tanay. Yeah, it's um well you you would think like you would have to do this at the impact zone, which is, you know, WrestleMania week is gonna be in Tampa. Yeah. And then what, do you do this in Orlando or do you just do it at a random venue in Tampa? <sighs> I mean you could do it at a random spot in Tampa, but if you really wanna if you really wanna keep it one hundred. Uh, you know, you got to go back to the impact zone. Uh, Chris Thunder. Uh, he says that I can't remember the last time when heels won almost every match on the biggest show of the year. 
Also, is L going to heal? As the crowd was quite into him during the match, and Sammy cut a babyface-esque promo just before his match. The standout is still their women's division, and being from Australia, where intergender wrestling is more common, I didn't have a problem with it. Um, questions for Nate. Number one, should Tessa have won the X Division Championship? And Tennille Dashwood has been a bridesmaid in so many promotions and never won the big one. Do you think she can lead the knockouts division? You kind of answered the first one already, but uh, Tennille yeah. Dashwood. She's obviously talented, but I think the problem is not with her in-ring. It's with her character. Right. And you've got to find a way to make this character connect with the audience. And I think part of the problem, you know, we talked about it with the uh, Taya storyline is, A, they didn't give us a reason to care about this match. But then, B, I think just from a look standpoint, she still has too much in common with the Emma character. I think they, they need to differentiate the way she looks and and maybe change up the character a bit, but the, the potential's there. Like she's definitely somebody that could lead a, a revamp knockouts division, but not now, not in her current state. Two more here. Gerard writes, I was watching impact regularly for most of this year, but fell off recently. This show pulled me back in. Marafuji Elgin was my most anticipated match of the show and it delivered big time and was my match of the night. Too bad the commentary team did not mention the significance of Elgin beating Marafuji with the burning hammer. Yeah, that was, um, th- that's a great point to make using Kenta Kobashi, who is synonymous, you know, the, uh, uh, with Noah, um, using the burning hammer, which Elgin has used in the past. It's, uh, you know, kind of his ultimate finish. But yeah, that was a, uh, certainly a storyline element to this because, Elgin to lure Marafuji into this match had been using the Emerald Flosion, Marafuji's move, and then beats him with, you know, one of his mentors in Kenta Kobashi with his finish. Um, he says Moose versus Shamrock exceeded expectations. Shamrock looked tremendous. Moose is really an underrated heel. Main event was also a pretty decent plunder match. My only real criticism of the show was some of the booking. Edwards versus Cage isn't an upcoming title match that really interests me. And how much longer is Tessa going to keep losing in these intergender matches? They have beaten her a bunch of them already. Time for her to win a men's title if they're going to continue to have her in these types of matches. Do you think it's almost like the their concern, Nate, about the potential backlash of putting her over that they've done these losses so that when they finally put her over one of the, one of the males that it's going to be universally received as opposed to people, um, you know, displaying a backlash against her going over someone. I mean, that's, that's a good theory. I'm trying here. Uh, <laughs> I'm stretching. Uh, but I, I do think like there, there obviously will be a backlash because in 2019 with the internet as it is, you're going to hear from everybody. Uh, good, bad, or indifferent about the decisions you make as a wrestling company, but there's no denying Tessa Blanche's star power. And so, yes, I guess if you want to have her lose as a way to shield you from some criticism, I guess that's a way to go. But honestly, I would have pulled the trigger tonight. Like, yep. She's too big of a star in a company that certainly could use all the stars they can get. Yeah, and and it's a much bigger program than Eddie Edwards and Ace Austin. Like that's, yeah. that's a feud that's going on, but it's, you know, Tessa is a bigger program than, than those two. Uh, last one here is Brandon from Texas. This was an uneven show. There was definitely some good to great matches with Marafuji Elgin, the X division ladder match and the main event. While there was other matches that I would say are easily forgettable, Taya versus Dashwood and the battle Royal. I'm also surprised that there was only one title change tonight with Dashwood and Callahan wins being seen as near guarantees before, in my opinion. 
overall, not a bad show. Definitely the bottom quality-wise for pay-per-views since Don Callis stepped in, which is a high standard, honestly. With a lot of great to amazing pay-per-views, I give this show a 6 out of 10. So it seemed like most they enjoyed the show, but we're not. It wasn't a home run show. Seems to be the consensus, Nate. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Like out of the recent crop over the past two years of impact pay-per-views, this is probably near the bottom. But that standard, that bar has been raised so high from where it was, you know, even three or four years ago. Well, uh, Nate, we have kept you uh, very late tonight. But before we get out of here, I am curious that with all of the craziness going on in the wrestling world, uh, what what are you checking out now? And I do want to hear your thoughts about NWA Power as someone that, you know, has, uh, you know, I'm sure it, it strikes a nostalgia with you, um, how that show has come across to you in seeing their first episode. I like NWA Power a lot, at least the, the episode that I've seen. Uh, I think the biggest thing for me is they've got compelling characters. Uh, right off the bat, when you start with Nick Aldis, who I think is probably one of the more underrated champions in, in, in wrestling. Like, I think that the sky's the limit for the guy. I liked him when he was Magnus in uh, Impact. I thought they could have done more with him uh, when he was uh, champion in Impact. But it's good to see him kind of getting this second act in his career. Uh, I like that there's a good mix of younger talent and then people like uh, James Storm or an Eli Drake involved with this show. Uh, Jim Cornette... uh, on the announce table is something that I didn't think that I would enjoy as much as I have, at least in this one episode. Uh, And yeah, it's, I think they found a way, John, to honor tradition and honor nostalgia without coming across as, you know, this novelty act. It, It feels like a show that can stand on its own while still honoring the past. And I think that's, that's a good niche for it to find again, going back to what we were talking about earlier, Wrestling these days is a sport where it's more fragmented than it's ever been. And if you don't like what the WWE is doing, there's four or five other companies that can offer you an alternative. And so I really dig what the NWA is doing. And I, again, if they succeed, it's better for the business and better for the fans. Yeah, I think so. And I, I feel that, you know, it's the the concept that's going to bring a lot of people in curiosity wise, but there is like the show it's it's a fast moving show i think it's it's exposing something that uh is lacking at a lot of other places in wrestling primarily WWE that's just the promos and kind of that you know not having a much looser feel and you've got some really great talkers there and certainly uh you know a, a bit of a 2016 NWA or a TNA uh, flavor to it with some of the guys Ooh. that were there a number of years ago now in a bit of a different light, especially Nick Aldis, who has um, been certainly one of the standouts two weeks in. Yeah, I think it's got the potential to maybe draw in some older fans. Uh, you know, I was doing the radio down here in Virginia uh, on Thursday this past week. And one of the callers called in and talked to the host about the NWA. And he's like, you know, they got a new show out and it's coming on at 6.05 on Tuesdays. And it's it's uh, old school and it's a throwback. And the host is somebody who probably hasn't watched wrestling uh, on a regular basis in 10 or 15 years. But he was intrigued. And I think he checked out the episode this week of Power. So, you know, there's a demographic there that is 
interested in a product like this, interested in something that kind of takes them back to their childhood. And, you know, it's, it's a good lane for them to be in. All right. Uh, any final thoughts on just where SmackDown is right now, three weeks in on Fox, and how, this, <laughs> uh, uh, how this relationship is going? Like, we'll, we'll talk about it more Monday night, but uh, yeah. numbers were down again week three. And, um, you know, n- not uh, obviously not not a positive trend that viewership has gone in. And this week is kind of a, an aberration because they'll be on FS1. But uh, does it concern you at all? Or was this sort of where you expected things to be three weeks in? You asked where SmackDown is, John. I'll tell you where it's not going to be on my TV screen uh, for the foreseeable future. Wow. And, you know, it's it's crazy because the last time I think when we were, when I was on the Hangout last time, I told you that was the show I was most excited for. Right. And in three weeks, they have dissipated all that excitement because, yes, I understand. There's only but so many different ways you can change the format within the framework of what WWE is. But I was expecting something new, something different. And really, it's a lot of the same old things with a different coat of paint on it. And so it's just not for me. And, you know, going back to that first show, yes, there were some cool things. I, li- I liked the interaction between The Rock and Becky Lynch. You know, I thought some of the matches were good. The Shane, Kevin Owens thing was cool. But, like, the first bit of sour taste in my mouth was what they did to Kofi. And then the second week, we had the draft, which, ugh, I I feel like the, the draft could have been a much bigger thing than, than it ended up being. Uh, and so the, the second week eh, wasn't really a big thing for me. Uh, so it just feels like, I don't know. I don't know who who this show is for, John, because I think we were sold, and when I say we, I mean the fans, I think we were sold maybe a bit of a bill of goods in that, on Fox, this would be a different show. This would be some different presentation. This would be more sports-oriented. And then the next thing you know, we've got The Fiend on the show. And so I, I don't know. I don't know what this show is. And like I said, you know, I've, I'm sure I'll catch SmackDown here or there maybe a few weeks down the line. But for the foreseeable future, I'm going to be listening to you and Brother Ting because – I've got other things I could do on Fridays, particularly in the midst of football season. We got the World Series. We got the NBA back. There's other things I could be watching on Fridays that would be a better use of my time. Well, uh, why don't you let everybody know where they can go here from the great Nate Milton. Of course, each month you can hear the Rocky Maivia Picture Show here at PostWrestling.com. New show up this weekend with Race to Witch Mountain, where you were joined by the British Invasion, not Magnus and Doug Williams, but <laughs> our own Davey Portman and Daniel Perry. A great show going through uh, a movie that you may have to look up and realize, yes, Dwayne Johnson did this movie in 2009. Yes, Race to Witch Mountain, the great Disney classic Uh <laughs> During the lean years of Disney live and live action films. Uh, so, yeah, the latest edition of Rocky My Via Picture Show is up with myself, uh, Davey Portman, as you mentioned, and Daniel Terry, who was uh, Daniel Perry. I've got Rob Terry on my mind now. <laughs> uh, Daniel, <laughs> Daniel Perry, who was, uh, you know, we, we, we like to we like to put the, the young stars over on the Rocky My Via Picture Show. And that's, so that's one of my favorite things about the program, John, is being able to kind of introduce new people to the postmarks, uh, whether it be people I've known for a while or somebody like Daniel, who I didn't know from Adam, uh, but he was certainly enthused to talk about Race to Witch Mountain. So uh, the three of us talked about that on this past week's episode. Uh, you can check out the Kings of Sport 
we will be having a new episode up sometime in the near future. I don't know when. We might get together, Brother Marcus and I, uh, might get together and do a World Series preview. Uh, but who knows? Like, I've been busy between doing the radio and doing uh, high school football and things of that nature. And Marcus, obviously, being a new father, is uh, very busy. So uh, we'll, we'll try to get something out here in the near future. Uh, but while you're waiting on that, you can check out the Patreon patreon.com backslash kings of sport where there's over 50 hours of content for you guys and girls to check out i think chris and i will probably have to get together and do a 2020 here pretty soon to talk about uh the ongoing uh, impeachment debate the uh the uh, democratic uh nomination process as well as uh tulsi gabbard who is uh apparently joining team russia now so (laughs) there's plenty to talk about politically speaking uh, and so, yeah, there's, there's a lot going on. I got the Black Lightning podcast. I got Place of the Nation's main event. Uh, I, I do a bunch of shows. And if you want to find out about them, the best place to go is on Twitter in the number eight, M-O-Z-A-I-K, at Nate Mosaic on Twitter. And you'll find links to everything there. Well, on Monday, we have a Canadian federal election. So if something crazy happens, Nate, maybe you and Chris are going to have to do an emergency podcast. Go go through our <laughs> government. Be, I was going to say, it'll be... Uh, It'll be like a, a talent exchange program where we get to review. Actually, maybe that'll be the new thing. Maybe if we run out of Democratic candidates, uh, Chris and I'll just go around the world and start talking about other countries' elections. You know, we'll do an episode on Canada. We'll do an episode on Brexit. You know, we'll just poke our noses into other countries' business. Well, uh, I definitely recommend you guys go check out uh, patreon.com slash kings of sport and follow him on Twitter at N, the number eight, M O Z. AIK. And of course, Nate is always riding shotgun for these impact reviews with myself. So the two of us will be back in January with Hard to Kill. And I'm sure you'll hear Nate on the Hangout uh, much before then, because we can't go too many weeks without uh, chatting with Nate Milton. So Nate, thank you as always for joining me tonight. And everyone will be back Monday night with Rewind to Raw as Way and I will go through three hours of Raw. <laughs>